Welcome to On Work and Revolution, where we talk about what's shaking up in the world of work and education right now. I'm your host, Debbie Goodman, and today we have Daniel Pianco as our guest. So Daniel is co-founder and managing director of Achieve Partners, which is an investment fund which invests in companies that are driving the future of learning and the future of employment. Prior to Achieve Partners, he was MD of University Ventures, which is another education-focused fund. So he has over a decade of experience in the education industry, although actually, to my count, way more than that. Um, he's recognized as a trusted education advisor and an innovator in student finance, medical education, and higher ed. He's a frequent commentator in the higher ed space. His insights have been featured in Wall Street Journal, CNBC, TechCrunch, Inside Higher Ed, also more recently, Ed Surge, and we'll be digging into his very fascinating op-ed that was released a couple of weeks ago. We'll do that in a bit. He started off at Goldman Sachs, kind of traditional investment banking, but then he became intrigued by the potential of leveraging private capital to establish the next generation of socially beneficial education companies. So way back, Daniel was an impact investor at heart, and he's now also host of the podcast Better Money, Better World, which is a really great podcast. But today we're going to be talking to Daniel about the pace of technological change in higher ed. What's happening, what's stalling, and what's on the cusp of massive innovation. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you. I've never had my bio read. Yeah, those 10 years are like shy of a decade, I, I, I think. Yeah, no, I've been doing this for quite some time. Thank you for the intro. Right. So when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you said to me that higher ed is not changing as much or as fast as it should be or could be. The technology to enable change is out there. It exists, but higher ed is slow. So why is this? Like, explain this long cycle of change in the higher ed space. Yeah, we like to say never bet against the pace of the slow pace of change in higher education. Um, and and look, there. If you think about what higher education is, universities are the second oldest institution we have as a society, second only to the Catholic Church. So there's a reason universities have survived as long as they've had. There's a reason why universities have sort of built in place uh, a slow pace of change. Um, and, and that is because, you know, we don't want to really experiment uh, in the education world in the sense that, you know, education is probably one of the most expensive things you will buy in your lifetime. You only get one of them. Um, and, you know, people don't really want to experiment for their bachelor's degrees or experiment with fourth grade. And so, you know, there isn't an appetite from the consumer to change rapidly. I don't want to do anything that jeopardizes the most expensive decision I've made in my life, right? This is a multi-hundred, multi-thousand dollars, sometimes hundred thousand dollar type decision. And the flip side is, you know, university faculty members um, tend to, you know, like the way things go and administrations tend to like the way things go, right? There's a, um, a, a, a you know, tenure systems and regulations that, in general, are built to slow the pace of change. And that allows universities to avoid sort of the visceral vim and visceral whims of day-to-day of -day changes. Um, but I do think you are starting to see uh, some fundamental shifts in how we learn. Um, and I think that's really 
uh, really the exciting. Despite the fact that it's almost like the institution has been set up to deliberately work slowly and to avoid rapid innovation for certain reasons, but nevertheless, the higher ed space is also where the R&D for cutting edge innovation happens. For example, right now, the metaverse. I mean, you recently wrote an article in EdSurge speaking about this latest innovation in the higher ed space, name, space namely the metaverse. Um, I found it absolutely fascinating because it seems that something that is so cutting edge, so innovative, so, so radical in terms of its opportunity to transform um, all of our worlds and all of our landscapes, and in particular the higher ed space, it was a really fascinating piece. So um, in your article, you explained that Universities have a long history of innovating and then giving away the value that they create. I really need you to explain this to me a little. It's really simple. You ever hear of Gatorade? University of Florida created it and, and hasn't made a dollar on it since. And, and that's kind of a flip uh, version of what I mean. But in a sense, universities fund a huge amount of research, right? The NIH, the various... Um, federal agencies, uh, much of funding uh, for research actually is funneled through universities. And historically, universities have done a really poor job of capturing that value. Now, it's one thing when it's Gatorade, right? I mean, it, it wouldn't make any sense for universities to capture that value. But let's talk about another innovation on a, um, uh, a college campus, Facebook, right? Facebook is literally just saying, hey, Harvard would publish a book of everyone's picture in it and send it around. Um, well, you and I have all seen The Social Network, and if you haven't, I strongly recommend it. It's a great movie. Um, and it basically documents how uh, Mark Zuckerberg takes what is, in effect, Harvard's intellectual property, its student body, and turns it into a trillion-dollar company, one of the largest, most important businesses in the world. And Harvard got zero from that. Maybe Mark one day will give a nice donation to Harvard, but from a practical perspective, the university effectively gave up the Facebook, and every university had one. I still have mine from when I was a kid. Don't you have your Facebook? <laughs> if you don't, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak to So most people do have this, you know, their Facebook. And, and so in effect, what happened was the university gave up something that was core to who it was, the identification of its students, how they interacted with each other, and effectively a existing student took it and created a, a trillion dollar company. We see this happen all the time whether it's research, um, most recently, and, and kind of most strong, uh, the best corollary to what's happening in the with the metaverse right now is online learning. You know, all online learning in higher education started in higher education. Higher education is, is where this all should have started. But instead of traditional universities dominating the higher education landscape, you have a series of companies and third parties that in effect control the shift from how we used to learn in person in classrooms to how we will most likely learn in the future, which is online. Um, and even traditional universities that still have large numbers of students um, on their campus do take at least one or two classes online. And so what you're seeing is at this point, roughly 30% of American students take at least some portion of their higher education online. It is easy to see that the same thing will happen with and, and what I mean by giving up the value right now, companies like Two View are publicly traded with close to a billion dollars in revenue. You have Wiley owns many, many what are called online program managers, and their business is to manage 
the online environment for traditional universities. In effect, universities are sharing half or more of their revenue with third parties. Um, and that would be great. Uh, there's, I don't have a, a problem with it. But if I were a university, why would I be giving up half of my value? Um, or in the case of Facebook, all of my value. Uh, and ironically, the metaverse is sort of both of those combined. Let me just take one second on that and then let you dive in with follow-up questions. In effect, the metaverse is online learning like 5x better. It will be an environment where you're not just you know, the, the Brady Bunch Zoom image or kind of the more modern versions of it. You will literally be able to be sitting in your home, go to a lecture in the metaverse, interact with other students, interact with faculty members, show you learn by demonstrating your learning in a fit in, in what is an effective physical in or physical feeling environment where you can do things like, you know, show how you would operate, show how you would install an HVAC, show, you know, show not just not just the zoom base, but actually images of doing things. And, you know, we're about to make this transition. And instead of jumping all over it, universities are again, ironically, outsourcing this to Facebook, um, which has been you know, investing in you know online, which which has changed its name to Meta, and and um, you know we we haven't learned any of the lessons from the past, and so that's kind of disappointing. Okay, so just to summarize, you're saying that um, the metaverse is the next big innovation. The R and D, the actual development of the technology, is going to be cultivated, is going to be developed in the institutions themselves the actual VR, AR technology, and instead of retaining the IP, instead of retaining the, the uh, commercial value of what that means for the universities themselves, instead they are doing what they did previously with OPMs, the online program managers, by kind of outsourcing this to Meta and other AR, VR technology builders and giving away the value. Is that what I'm hearing? Debbie, you're very smart and uh, did a better job describing it than I did. So thank you. I just wanted to take a little, thanks for that. <laughs> take a little step back because I think we glossed over a bit like what the opportunity around the metaverse in higher ed actually is. Because I think there are a lot of listeners that hear about the metaverse and they're a bit confused about what is that and is that the same as VR and AR? Is it something different? And what does it actually mean for our institutions, for tertiary education? So, so that's a really good point. Uh, a lot of times when people say the metaverse, what they're saying is some futuristic 10, 20 year hence experience that's kind of like Ready Player One, if you've ever seen that movie. And, and the reality, you know, this kind of fully immersive environment where everything just kind of works with, you just feel like it's real life, even though it's digitally intermediated. We're probably a long way from that, right? Probably at least 10 years. Who knows if we'll even get there. But where I think we kind of know we're going to get to really quickly is, you know, take a very simple thing, like, Google Glass, like your glasses. Right? Many people wear glasses. Right now, glasses, you know, have what they have. Very soon, there will be something as powerful as your phone in your glasses. That means you'll be able to record things. You'll be able to, for example, project what an image of. Let's just take something really, really simple. We want to teach you how to uh, fix HVAC machines, right? You could see the glasses, project a hologram of what an HVAC is. You could use haptic 
so haptic just means uh, it, it, it does what you're, you put them on your hand, haptic gloves. So it shows the actual physical movement in this metaverse of, of where your hands are. And you can put on these gloves and demonstrate to a third party that you actually know how to fix an HVAC system. Now that, that's already sort of happening with companies like Labster and others. Now taking this step further, right, you could uh, have sort of mock seeing of patients if you're in medical school. You could create sort of environments. I'm on the board of the University of Nicosia. We now have our first classes in the metaverse. And you can go in there and you literally sit and listen to a lecture from a professor that looks a lot better than a kind of Zoom call. But also you can kind of tap the person on your shoulder next to you, literally in this case, and talk to them about what's going on in the classroom, create that sort of on-campus environment. And so each of these is substantively superior to a simple, regular on-classroom environment, right? Even take a history class. You know, you're sitting there in history class and your Google Glass could be augmented, could create an augmented reality for you where the professor is talking about Napoleon and you literally see an image of Napoleon pop up in your view, viewfinder. And so you actually know who he is you know, you could show a demonstration of, you know, a battle uh, and you could see how different uh, people interacted on the battlefield instead of like just still maps or just a video of a map, everyone could have. So you're seeing this augmented reality already come into play. And it's a probably a 5, 10, 15, 20 year progression from where we are today, which is this kind of augmented reality stage to, you know, the full on immersive experience, which is going to be superior to uh, our real life. So it's absolutely clear, I mean, as you're talking about these examples, the unbelievable benefits that we could, just from, from the learning environment, how those could be enhanced, advanced, made more real, um, where students would come out of the tertiary institutions with actual skills instead of just mostly academic learning, unless they're like doctors, they also have their various residency programs, etc. What do you, do you think that any of the institutions actually have the, the capability to build the technology, considering what you said earlier around their willingness to actually take on board innovation and embrace change. And this is the fundamental point. Right now, you know who's leading the charge? Facebook. You know how much they're spending to kind of dominate higher ed, move to the metaverse? $150 million. We spend $500 billion a year on higher education. And, and in effect, Facebook with $150 million is driving the discussion. How is that possible? The leading company in the space, amazing company, uh, Steve Grubbs, I've been on a panel with him. Uh, his company is great. I mean, millions of dollars of investment. I don't know, you can look it up on PitchBook. Amazing entrepreneur. Uh, here he is, he's invested, uh, you know, people have invested relatively small sums of money at this point to create an outsized influence. And this is how it starts. This is how giving up the right to win in what's going to happen in higher education is happening right now. For want of millions of dollars and just a little bit of oomph from some faculty members, we're effectively giving up, higher education is giving up the future way we're going to learn. And that's the, that's, that's the fundamental rub of the piece, which is why are we not finding the money and the effort and the people to create this in a way that is separate and distinct from Facebook and other, you know, non-market-based uh, players, as opposed to people who will create something for the public. In effect, 
What we need is a metaverse that is not dominated by a single company. We need a metaverse that is distributed in nature where people can maintain their own identities, maintain their own, take a very simple example, right? If we operate on the Facebook platform, and you know this from real life, web 2.0, mm-hmm. web 2.0, you're on Facebook and Facebook says, I don't like you anymore. Facebook can kick you off. Any government can send Facebook a letter saying, please give me all the information about Debbie Goodman because we think, you know, she's not a good person or whatever. Or China, you know, it may not be happening here right now, but it could happen. In, it's happening in China. It's happening in other places where you're in this kind of modality right now where we're uh, Facebook can get a subpoena or something else from any government on earth and has to give up all the information about you. If they want to turn off your account, they can turn off. In a decentralized metaverse, which is governed by distributed networks, right? Not just one person, not just one entity managing it. It is virtually impossible for governments and other centralized actors to control that. And not only is higher education giving up the profit center going forward, but they're also giving up the control. And that's the part that really adversely impacts society. We're giving up our control of our data and our information at the university level, but then it filters through, right? Of course, once you're in the metaverse, it's created by Facebook on your college campus, you're going to use it afterwards, right? Think about just simple things like, why don't we just use an open source uh, headsets instead of using the, the, the Oculus that's owned by Facebook? Um, why are we giving up all of our personal information to the same company that's been dominating our personal information in the existing Facebook kind of ecosystem? And so that's where I think this is not just about universities, but it's also about society in general. For want of tens of millions of dollars um, in a $500 billion ecosystem, we are literally giving all of this up. Okay, so as I'm hearing it, you part of your um, uh, the alert here is to say there are a couple of companies that see the commercial opportunity and are, are already dominating the space that is ultimately going to influence our future dramatically if we think about the cost of education and what that means for society in general and that they cannot be the only participants or they cannot be the primary drivers in this particular technology that is going to be so radically and so fundamentally change the face of education in the future and if other parties both higher ed institutions themselves as well as society in general individuals consumers don't also come to the party this is going to once again end up being a monopoly of a few players and that is going to be very disadvantageous in the future amen i'm doing a decent job you're doing a better job so you're hired you're doing a great job i'm just wanting to summarize all these ideas because they're kind of fresh and new in relation to really understanding the interface between this word that we're hearing thrown around a lot, meaning the, meaning the metaverse, Meta, which was Facebook, has very very clearly put their, their flag in the ground. And I think there's still a lot of people that are quite, kind of unsure about how this plays out. What do they actually mean by meta and metaverse? But when we actually like really look at the honing it into this just one domain being our education and what the potential dangers are of just sitting aside and allowing a few companies to monopolize the conversation, I you know, really see the point that you're, that you're trying to make. The question is, why aren't more higher ed institutions not jumping up and down about this. I don't know. Get me on more podcasts, Debbie. 
No, look, I look, first of all, I think that universities in general, and this is kind of why, you know, getting back to sort of how you started the conversation, but in general, universities are, you know, are built to be slow moving. They're not built to move fast. And in this case in particular, for whatever reason, um, faculty members and, and who really drive universities and drive institutions, right? At the end of the day, you know, faculty, I think rightly, have a lot of power, especially in traditional universities. And we're just not seeing individuals at these institutions really step up and say this is important. I think it's because it's, it, um, you know, faculty members um, and universities as a whole aren't really uh, focused on sort of what this will mean, not just for them, but for other people. And while, you know, millions of dollars in the broad context of a $500 billion industry doesn't seem like much. For an individual institution, it is a lot. And so I think you would likely need governments or uh, foundations to really step up and put some pots of money out there that are separate and distinct that drive interest in this concept. Because I think everybody agrees that how the web developed where a limited number of of companies control your data is bad. It's even worse when you're talking about the metaverse. Why? It's so much more immersive. It's your identity. It's everything about you. It's not just your online identity, right? Because it becomes such an integral part of your life if this technology develops the way it, it seems to be. And so if you don't like Google and Facebook and Twitter and other people controlling your lives and controlling what you see and how you see it, you should be jumping on this bandwagon of a decentralized metaverse. Please check out the University of Nicosia's focus on the decentralized metaverse. Please focus on other people who are liberating themselves uh, from centralized systems. Right? Facebook is going to charge you a lot, a lot of money in the future, just like they charge you today, but through advertising, right? And Cambridge Analytica and all this stuff. Um, we are effectively handing this same group of people, or in this in the Facebook example, one individual in the in, in some of the other examples I've given, you know, multiple people, perhaps shareholders, uh, you're handing them all of your future information and all of that in this next iteration of the technology. And that's just scary. And frankly, it's stupid for us as a society to do that. Mm. So at this stage, um, Daniel, I mean, your your day job is as an investor and um this uh, awareness around what's happening and shifting and changing, uh, this kind of revolution to the world of education and this uh, alert that you're sounding out. Um, Are there other people out there, other organizations, other groups that are lobbying in a similar way, either formally or informally, for the kind of decentralization that you're speaking about. I mean, we can see decentralization and the advantage of of that in so many other platforms, but in so many other industries. This is one that I don't know that has come too much to the fore yet. Who else is talking about this? Is is it just you standing on your soapbox? I definitely feel pretty lonely on the soapbox when it comes to academic institutions. I'm not even really formally part of an academic institution in that way. What I'm about to say probably shoots the argument in the foot. Uh, the groups that have been most active and vocal about these types of issues are people in and around things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And, you know, kind of, you know, people who view centralized systems with a huge amount of disdain. And the problem with groups that view centralized systems with a huge amount of disdain is they're not very good at organizing. And then it attracts people who 
may not be the best people in the world. We have heard recently about things like Sam Bankman-Fried absconding with billions and billions of dollars and lying publicly. These are the people who have historically been talking about it. So the question is, who are the good people in crypto who can make this um, and who in more traditional university environments and more traditional power structures can stand up and say, we gave away our data and our rights to privacy and our rights to control our information and our rights to benefit economically and socially from things like our Facebook information, our social media. Do we really want to do this again? We have the opportunity right now for tens of millions of dollars and some element of, of effort from a limited number of people so that literally Facebook, the group that is doing all this on in the web 2.0 and sort of the existing ecosystem that we use is trying to do this in what is clearly the next generation of technology. And for want of tens of millions of dollars, we are literally doing nothing. And the result is Facebook, just as it controls your social media presence and web 2.0, which is this kind of like web of the way you know it, right? Web one was actually controlled by universities, right? The web, the, inter, the interwebs started in universities. And then because universities didn't want to deal with all the headache of managing those systems, they handed it over to web 2.0, web 2.0s, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Web three, we have the chance right now to make it independent, to make it decentralized, to work for individuals rather than individual corporations. And instead of standing up and seizing that moment, we as a society, and especially the academic community, the higher education community, saying, okay, yeah, fine. You want, you want to take this trillion dollar opportunity? Go take it. We don't, we don't have the money, the time, the effort. We can't be troubled with this stuff. That's horrible. I am really intrigued at this conversation. I'm hoping that on Work and Revolution podcast is another avenue to get this message out to more people. I think there probably are more people than you know who are starting to become aware of the metaverse in relation to education and higher education. You're right, it's not very well organized or um, you know, there are no lobbying groups out there as yet, but I think the more that people become aware of the issue that there actually is a problem here, I think the greater the awareness will continue to grow and i hope for all of our sakes that you are joined by many more people who speak loudly enough so that we can start affecting change but this has been an amazingly interesting conversation thank you daniel for all of your insights and your passion and yeah i have really enjoyed every minute of this thank you so much my pleasure and uh looking forward to seeing you in a ar intervened world in not too distant future that is decentralized in nature. Amen to that. Thanks for hanging around all the way to the end. It would mean the world if you would rate and review on Work and Revolution on your favorite listening app. It helps people know that the show is worth listening to. And so I'll really appreciate that. Thank you so much. 